Hello, hello, beautiful souls. Today is the karma clearing. And uh, we have more people coming. Sorry. So, hello. Hello. Okay, Subda. We're, we're recording this message just because uh, it's quite important. So remember that you're going to be in the recording. So if you speak, you know that you're public. <laughs> I'm just warning you. So um, before we start, I had the I had the message from my son because uh, this book I bought this book on 2011 and I studied this and I gave it to Theo and he kept poking me about it. So I opened the book and it went for what's happening now is the germ warfare. Dr. Michio Kaku, Physics of the Future. So germ warfare is an oldest the Bible. Ancient warriors used to hurl deceased bodies over the walls of enemy cities or poison their wells with the bodies of deceased animals. So deliberately giving smallpox infected clothing to an adversary is another way to destroy them. But with modern technology, germs can be genetically bred to wipe out millions of people. In 1972, United States and the former Soviet Union, they signed an historic treaty banning the use of germ warfare for offensive purposes. However, the technology of bioengineering is so advanced today that the treaty is meaningless. First, there is no such thing as offensive and defensive technology when it comes to DNA research. The manipulation of genes can be used for either purpose. Second, with genetic engineering, it is possible to create weaponized germs, those that have been deliberately modified to increase their lethality or their ability to spread into the environment. It was once believed that the only that only the United States and Russia possessed the last vials containing smallpox, the greatest killer in the history of human race. In 1992, a Soviet detector claimed that the Russians had weaponized smallpox and actually produced up to 20 tons of it. With the breakup of the Soviet Union, there is the nagging fear that one day a terrorist group may pay to gain access to weaponized smallpox. In 2005, biologists successfully resurrected the Spanish flu virus of 1918, which killed more people than World War I. Remarkably, they were able to resurrect the virus by analyzing a woman who had died and was buried in the permafrost of Alaska, as well as samples taken from U.S. soldiers during the epidemic. The scientists been proceeded to publish the entire genome of the virus on the web, making it known to the entire world. Many scientists felt uneasy about this, since one day, even a college student with access to the university laboratory 
might be able to resurrect one of the greatest killers in the history of the human race. In the short term, the publication of the genome of the Spanish flu, virus was a bonanza for scientists who then could examine the genes to solve a long-standing puzzle. How did a tiny mutation cause such widespread damage to the human population? The answer was soon found. The Spanish flu virus, unlike other varieties, causes the body's immune system to overreact. releasing large amounts of fluid that eventually kills the patient. The person literally drowns in his own fluids. Once this was understood, the genes that cause this deadly effect could be compared to the genes of the H1N1 flu and other viruses. Fortunately, none of them possess this lethal gene. Moreover, one could actually calculate how close a virus was to attaining this alarming capability. And the H1N1 flu was still far from achieving this ability. But in the long term, there is a price to pay. Every year, it becomes easier and easier to manipulate the genes of living organisms the costs keep plummeting and the information is widely available in the internet. Within a few de- decades, some scientists believe that it will be possible to create a machine that will allow you to create any gene simply by typing the desired components, by typing in the ATCG symbols, making up a gene. The machine will then automatically splice and dice DNA to create that gene. If so, then it means that perhaps even high school students may one day do advanced manipulation of life forms. One nightmare scenario is airborne AIDS. Cold viruses, for example, possess a few genes that allow them to survive in droplets of aerosols so that sneezing can infect others. At present, the AIDS virus is quite vulnerable when it is exposed to the environment, but if the cold virus genes are implanted into the AIDS virus, then it is conceivable that they might make it able to survive outside the human body. This could then cause the AIDS virus to spread like the common cold, thereby infecting a large portion of the human race. It is also known that viruses and bacteria do exchange genes, so there is also the possibility that the AIDS and common cold viruses can exchange genes naturally, although this is less likely. In the future, a terrorist group or nation-state may be able to weaponize AIDS. The only thing preventing them from unleashing it would be the fact that they too would also perish if the virus were to be dispersed into the environment. This threat became real right after the tragedy of 9-11. An unknown person mailed packets of a white powder containing anthrax spores 
to well-known politicians around the country. A careful microscopic anal analysis of the white powder showed that the anthrax spores had been weaponized for the maximum death and destruction. Suddenly, the entire country was gripped with fear that a terrorist group had access to advanced biological weapons. So although anthrax is found in the soil and throughout our environment, only a person with advanced training and maniacal, in maniacal intentions could have purified and weaponized the anthrax and pulled off this fear, this fit. Even after one of the largest manhunts in U.S. history, the culprit was never found. Even to this day, although a leading suspect recently committed suicide. The point here is that even a single individual with some advanced biological training can terrorize an entire nation. One restraining factor that has kept germ warfare in check is simple self-interest. During World War I, the efficacy of poison gas on the battlefield was mixed. The wind conditions were often unpredictable, so the gas could blow back onto your own troops. Its military value was largely in terrorizing the enemy. Rather than defeating him, not a single decisive battle was won using poison gas. And even at the height of the Cold War, both sides knew that poison gas and biological weapons could have unpredictable effects on the battlefield and could easily escalate to a nuclear confrontation. All the arguments mentioned in this chapter, as we have seen, involve the manipulation of genes, proteins, and molecules. Then the next question naturally arises. How far can we manipulate individual atoms? So this is uh, page 168. It's called Germ Warfare, predicted by Dr. Michio Kaku, which was brought to my attention today. And uh, I just wanted to share that. I don't really talk about um, stuff related to COVID because um, it's, it's too destructive. There's so many distractions already. And also, I work under the medical field. <laughs> So I'm kind of like under the radar and um, everybody has um, a responsibility to put your attention to fear or to put your attention to love. We're in this together. We're in it already. People are unconscious. People have no clue. They're ignorant of what they cannot see. So the light workers like us that um, that are conscious to to heal our our soul, our karma. One soul at a time, right? We cannot save the world because the world is already here in this <clears throat> conglomeration of 
events and it's it's all um upon us to to truly um take a deeper reflection in your soul take care of your soul like for one week i was clearing all religious beliefs that was imprinted in my soul the journey of the saints the martyrs the suffering saint teresa of avila saint teresa of lisieux i actually did the healing with uh, madame <laughs> and we tap into the i don't even know that this exists when i opened the records there was uh, she was being buried alive and uh, when i opened my eyes in the morning i checked on google and it was about the vestal so the vestal just um the vestal they were women ages 7 to 10 maybe this is uh, in roman um, empire if i have my notes okay the vestalis they were being prepared for the priestesshood this is a uh, history and they have to be in uh, celibacy for 30 years and if they find you having sexuality sexual intercourse you would be buried alive this is in our imprint as goddesses so that's actually why i don't open records <laughs> it's a lot of work <laughs> because my soul consumes this uh, imprints and um but i can't you know this is uh, the job so when they violate the oath of celibacy and in the kingdom they were uh, servants students and teachers in the temple of vesta i believe some of you here are part of this uh, timeline past life because a lot of women are not experiencing uh uh tantric sex because of the imprint of uh being you know celibate and also being buried alive if you have sex roman pontifex maximus so all of this you can google and study being trapped even male because you could have been a female in that timeline right so it doesn't really matter the gender because we've been men and women and no gender it is just what it is the evolution of your soul takes you to this timeline and if you study your years of life and your dreams so take notes of what i talk about because this will help you uh, map out your past the dreams that comes to you are part of your uh, past lives they're uh, triggers and the people that triggers you in this incarnation it could be your friends family whatever 
are part of your past lives, of course. But all of this is to wake you up to be a holographic, morphogenic being. With that said, you're like this not from nothing to everything. You're nothing in everything. Example, um, if you're alive now, this world is so many dimensions. And when you die, it collapses. You're back to nothing. So there is no right or wrong with whatever contracts. Even Hitler has no right or wrong. It's hard to conceive that. But he was a conscious part of the collective. Everything that is happening is a part of us. This pandemic is a part of us because of the fear and all of that stuff. The, the people that uh, are malevolent. And so we're in a spiritual warfare. It's written in the Bible, written for so many uh, lifetimes. So this is like uh, the revelation and the apocalypse. But I don't believe in fear, so I believe in rebirth. We're dying to our old self, to our old beliefs. So I had experienced this week the past lives of uh, the saints. And I, I don't really talk about it publicly, but now I am because I'm writing this book to help people heal karma. So these uh, revelations and mystical um, apparitions are so sacred to me. My children knows all of this. So I want you to examine your operations, your ruptures, because each one of us has this in a different story. Each one of us has a story to tell. Why do we, why do we want to heal our karma? Because we are the spiritual warriors for the generations to come. When we heal our karma, we heal our past ancestors. They're here cheering for us. Okay, those ancestors that did not uh, reach the light, the enlightened ancestors are supporting us. But there's a lot of ancestors that are in the dark, or whatever they're doing in the in the vibration of um, fear. So when we heal, we heal our generations to come, seven generations. I didn't ask why seven, but I know seven is a mystical number. So, I take this teaching seriously because I go through it like I go through hell. When my soul is cold, I couldn't sleep. I had to wake up and write or listen. The whole day I was just listening and I loved the, the uh, I, I wanted to go to the ocean but I can't because I had to do a business, like talk to these masters why we're here we cannot take it lightly anymore every thoughts intention every words every action is accelerated once you have a thought of a negative 
thought about your neighbor, it comes so fast to you that you'll feel, oh my gosh, I did it again. How do we uh, how do we shift this? But because we're human beings, we cannot be hard on ourselves. We're always going to make mistakes. This is the DNA of being human. But the the gifts, the fruits of uh, being human is forgiveness. So check the people that you haven't forgiven. Truly from the heart. Because when we forgive from the heart, from the consciousness of the soul, then there is nothing to be forgiven. But people nowadays, they forgive, but they still hold this resentment, this toxicity. This is the venom, the venom of human souls. We don't understand. How one toxic thought could derail us from the from the path of illuminating our mind so yeah i'm going to stop this now and uh, we'll go to archangel michael and thank you so much for listening namaste